following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. I'm going to turn and look this morning at this portion of Scripture that has been laid out for us here in Psalm 119. We often ask ourselves the question, what is the Christian? What does the Christian life look like? The Bible says that we are a people who have been set apart. We have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. But how does that work of God's Spirit manifest itself in our lives? Historically, we've seen how people will change the way they dress or do certain outward kind of things that distinguishes them or marks them off, as it were, as being different than others that are in the world. But I think that the Bible tells us something much deeper and much uh, more Uh, consistent in that as we look. And so we want to take this portion of Scripture to look at that question. Wherein does the Christian life consist? Now, the book of Psalms are a book given to the church by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as a book of praise. It is an opportunity for us to think about how to praise God, how to offer to Him that glory and honor that He is so worthy to receive. It instructs us about our praise. It instructs us about the way we walk in life. It instructs us about how we are to behave as we are in the midst of a world that is lost in dying in sin. But it is also a book of comfort. It is a book that we've always turned to in many ways. Uh, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley in the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It brings us comfort. It brings us um, a, a sense of peace as we look to this particular book. Now, why would I turn to the book of Psalms and not to an Old Testament text to teach us about how to live the Christian life? Well, one of the reasons is because of him whom God has used to pen most of the book of Psalms, and that is the king of Israel, David. The Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart, a man who sought to walk in the ways of the Lord. And I think in these verses... Psalm 119, verses 57 and following, he shows us exactly how it is that we are to walk as the people of God. And I am going to open up these these verses this morning by looking at one of these areas. David teaches us that to be a Christian or one who is um, wherein his life consists as a Christian is one who is... A man or woman who has thoughtfully determined to be in the scriptures. A Christian life consists in a thoughtful determination to receive and rest in Christ alone for salvation. David had said, 
I promise to keep your word. David has said, the Lord is my portion. The Christian life consists in a thoughtful determination to kill sin. Psalm 119, 59 and 60. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet, I do not delay. The Christian life consists in a thoughtful determination to know the will of God and to do it. Verse 64. Teach me your statutes. The Christian life consists in a thoughtful determination to trust God and to depend upon his promises. Verse 58. Be gracious to me according to your promises. And lastly, the Christian life consists in a thoughtful determination to exercise oneself in the means of grace. Verses 62 and 63. I am a companion of those who fear you. But before we begin to look at, in particular, this first area, the Christian life consists in a thoughtful determination to be a man or woman in the Word. I want to talk about this idea of thoughtful determination. Many think that the Christian life is basically a blind leap of faith, just jumping into the dark. But it's quite contrary to what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that we are to know that God is the Lord. And there is thought. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, Jesus says to us, Come now and let us reason together. Peter gives the exhortation to us that are Christians that we are to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Christianity is not a thoughtless journey. Christianity is a religion that requires us to use our minds to think and to understand the will of the Lord. As the Bible says, understand God's way, understand God's purposes. But it's also a thoughtful determination. Now, sometimes when we as Reformed believers talk about the bondage of the will, we forget that what God does in regeneration is makes us, makes us a willing people. He works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So the Christian life really is a life of faithful reasoning and a reasoning faith. And so we look at it, and as we look at this scripture this morning, we want to make a thoughtful determination as to the instruction of these verses, how God would call us to walk as those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. We are, by God's grace, to give a thoughtful determination to be men and women of the the word. Why? David says here, I promise... To keep your words. God had worked in David's heart in such a way that David had thoughtfully determined that he would be a man of God's word. He would give himself to the word of God. And he does that, first of all, because he sees the authority of God's word. Psalm 119 and verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk 
in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord. The term there in the Hebrew is Torah. And it's not talking about just a few specific statutes or ordinances, but it's talking about the whole of God's created order. That the one who is blessed is the one who has determined, thoughtfully determined, that he would walk in all of life, in every area of life, in everything he does according to the law of God. Because it is not just any law, it's not the law of the United States or the laws of England or the laws of South America, it is the law of Jehovah, it is God's law. It is a law that God himself has revealed in all of his creation, but specifically as he summarized it for us or gave us that that summary of it in the Ten Commandments or that summary that Jesus gives us when he says that the two laws are to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and our neighbor as ourself. And on these two laws hang all the laws and the prophets. Hang all that God has given to us. And David recognized that this law that God gave, because God is a God of integrity, that these laws were not false rules, but they would lead the man who followed them into what he describes as a blessed state. Now, when the Bible uses the term blessed, it's not just talking about being happy or being settled, but it's talking about what the Old Testament calls shalom, a peace that surpasses all understanding. It is a state of the heart in which one has complete and full confidence and assurance that what God has said is true and that the law that God has given is a righteous and holy law and that it fails in no way. And that it fails in no way. Secondly, David saw that not only the authority of God's word in the law, but he also saw the perfection of God's word. Notice how he describes it for us in Psalm 119. In that Psalm, he or Psalm 19. In that Psalm, he first of all describes God's revelation in creation, but then he describes God's revelation in His law. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Notice what David says there concerning this perfection of the word, that this word that God has given to us, it brings us, it converts us, it makes us wise, it gives us understanding, and it's to be desired more than all the riches and the glory of this world because of its perfection. It lacks in nothing. As a man or woman gives themselves to the word, to be a man or woman of the word, all of its directions will lead us in that right way, in that right path. There is a path that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is destruction. But the way of the Lord is perfect. It leads us to the very throne room of God. 
And so David saw the word of the Lord as being perfect, that he might be thoroughly furnished unto every good work, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Thoroughly furnished unto every good work. It rebukes, it reproves, it exhorts, it transforms, it brings us to be like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it does so perfectly. But thirdly, David gave himself to be a man of the word because of the clarity of the word. Notice what he says in Psalm 119 and verses, uh, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. David recognizes the clarity of God's word as a lamp to the feet, as a light to the path. When Mrs. Curto and I were living in Uganda, East Africa, up in a region called Karamoja, it's one of the first places I ever lived where there literally was no atmospheric light. And when it got dark in the village at night, it got dark. You could hardly see anywhere. But it was interesting because it was so dark that it made your flashlight look like it was 10 times brighter than when you were in a place where there's lots of atmospheric light. You could see the beam from a flashlight from a mile away. You could see, actually they say that it is so dark that you can see the light of a match for 20 miles. That's pretty incredible. We, we light a match in a room like this and it hardly lights up anything. But to think that it is dark. And, and the Bible describes the world in being that way. It describes it as being that kind of dark. And yet God's word is a light in the midst of the darkness and the darkness can't consume it. The darkness can't swallow it up. The darkness can't extinguish it. The darkness can't bring and make it dim. It shines as a light to our feet so that we don't trip. And we don't fall. When we were, as I said, living there in Africa, you always paid attention where you walked because of snakes and all those kinds of things. But also because of all the roots and the branches and the stuff that were in the way so that you would trip and fall. And yet the Bible functions in that way. It functions in such a way that as we are on this journey, as we are going from the city of destruction to the celestial city it lights the path before us that we are able to see our way not only is it authoritative and perfect and clear but it's also sufficient notice what david says in psalm 119 and verse 6 then he says on that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes so as i keep your statutes then i shall not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments in other words it's sufficient the Bible is sufficient to teach me all that I need to know about God and what duty God requires of me. And the man or woman who have thoughtfully determined to set their hearts and their lives upon the word will not be put to shame. They will be able to stand in the midst of the congregation and they will be openly acknowledged and acquitted on the day of judgment because they have put their trust in the word knowing that the word will not fail them in any way.
And as I said, fifthly, the reason David thoughtfully determines to be a man or woman of the word is because of the fruit that it bears in us. As I spoke just a moment ago, blessedness. Psalm 119.1, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the way of the Lord. You see, true happiness doesn't come by the material things we own. True happiness doesn't come by the state of our health. True happiness doesn't come by the state in which we live, whether it's America or some other free place that exists in the world. True happiness comes from being people, men and women, who have committed themselves to be of the word. The Bible says to us that that's where our true blessedness is. And so David says, I promise. Notice that David is making a vow there to the Lord. I promise, he says, to keep your words all the days of my life. So how do we do that? That's the why he did it. But how do we do that? Well, we do it by giving diligence to that endeavor, that promise to keep God's word. Psalm 119 and verse 4. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently, David said. You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Or notice what his son Solomon tells us in the Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 34. He says this, Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. You see, there's a diligence, a daily waiting at the gates, waiting beside the doors. When Mrs. Curdo and I again lived in Karamoja, we would come out in the morning and at my gate there would be Karamojong lined up needing counsel, wanting to talk to me about some particular problem that was going on, or just basically needing some of the necessities of life. But every day, every day, they would be at my gate. And I used to think and ask myself the question, do I wait at the gate of God with such diligence, waiting for him to arise, waiting for him to come forth, waiting for a blessing from the throne of grace, giving that diligence daily at the door. But David says not only must we be diligent in waiting upon the Lord, but we must give ourselves to preparation. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Peter puts it this way. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow unto salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That preparation, preparation by putting aside all of those sins which so so easily beset us, confessing our sins as we come to uh, study and to meditate upon God's word, as we come to give ourselves uh, to understand it, You know, in our busy lives, we're constantly tempted to just kind of either race through the word so that we can say, I've read it today, or to simply lay it aside and not read it the way we should daily, hungering and thirsting as a newborn baby. 
I am sure the Groffs are uh, realizing that once again, that newborn baby and its desire to, to feed and to grow, a natural desire. Well, for the Christian, the Christian is one who has thoughtfully determined to give himself to the Word. And so with that diligence, daily longing for, seeking after that milk of the Word whereby he might grow. And as the psalmist says, as he comes prayerfully, Psalm 119 and verse 18, he says these words, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Open thou my eyes that I may receive those things that you have called us to do, that I might eat that food that you have prepared for us, that I might take it completely and fully. So he comes with diligence, preparation, and prayer, and he receives the word in faith. He trusts God. Without faith, it's not possible to please God. When we come to God's word, we come with faith believing that he is teaching us what we are to know concerning him, and that he is teaching us the duty that he requires of us. And that as he teaches us, we believe him. There's a saying that often goes, if the Bible says it, I believe it. And that settles it. And that's a true statement. If it is the teaching of God's word, by faith, I believe, I trust in that word. As our catechism says, I receive it with faith and love. Oh, how I love thy law, O Lord. And on it do I meditate day and night. I travel a lot. And as I traveled, my wife for many years made it a practice that she would write me notes for every day that I was going to be gone. And she would stick it in my suitcase. So whenever I arrived at the first place I arrived, I would always rustle through the suitcase and find the little packet of daily notes that she gave me. And one of the things that was amazing is, as I would sit and read these notes, one for each day, it was as if I could hear her sitting right there beside me telling me what she was telling me in that note. That's the way God wants us to come to his word. That when we sit down and we read the word of God, we recognize that it is not just some esoteric, some faraway God that we are contemplating. But it is the very God who is near us. It is the very God who is close to us. It is the very God who has spoken to us in Jesus Christ. And has spoken to us through these scriptures that have been inspired by God and brought to us as a Bible that has been God-breathed. And we should, as we read it, love these scriptures. We should love them and recognize that they're coming to us from a God who loved us in Christ to such a degree that he sent his only begotten son to die in our stead so that we might have these words of life in our hearts and in our minds, and we love them. But the Bible says that pride comes before the fall, but that God exalts the humble. When we come to the scriptures, we must come to them with faith, we must come to them with love, but we must come to them humbly. We must come realizing that 
It is only by God's word that we live. And even as we read the word, we must realize that as we understand it, it's not because we're smarter than anyone else. It's not because we are more diligent than everyone else, but because God by his spirit has illumined our minds in the things of the word that we might know him, that we might love him, that we might give ourselves to him. It is not a work that I do. It's a work that God does. But God works as we thoughtfully determine to give ourselves to this word in all humility. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When we don't read God's word, what we're saying is, Lord, we don't need your provision. We don't need your word. We don't need that spiritual manna that you promised to give us. We can do it ourselves. We can do it alone. We can discern what we're to believe concerning you and what duty you require of us by our own ingenuity, by our own intelligence, by our own reasoning. No, the Bible says we must hunger and thirst after God's word. As the deer panteth after the water brook, so doth my heart pant after God as he has been pleased to reveal himself in his most holy word. We receive the word with faith, love, humility, and readiness of mind. Ready to do those things which God commands us. Ready to quit those things which God forbids us. Ready to go to those places where God directs us. Ready to do with all of our strength that work that God sets before us as he leads us and directs us in his word. We receive the word with faith, love, humility, and readiness of mind. And we meditate upon that word day and night. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man that does not walk in the way of sinners, nor stand in the uh, presence of the scornful, nor sit in the seat of sinners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. Psalm 119 and verse 97, the psalmist puts it this way. Oh, how I love your law, O Lord. It is my meditation all the day. It is my meditation all the day. Thomas Hooker, that English Puritan who is the founder of the state of Connecticut, writes this about meditation. Meditation is a serious intention of the mind whereby we come to search out the truth and settle it on the heart. Meditation is a serious intention of the mind whereby we come to search out the truth and settle it on the heart. Thomas Boston wrote about meditations in these words. Remember, Meditation is not hasty reading, but serious meditating upon holy and heavenly truths that make them prove sweet and profitable to the soul. I read those two quotes for this reason. Often people think that meditation is just simply thinking more deeply about something. Going from the surface down into the depths. 
But it involves much more than just thinking about something. It involves causing those truths that we learn, as uh, Hooker says, to settle on the heart, or as Boston says, to make them sweet and profitable to the soul. Now, I know that there are many programs that basically are out there so that you can read the Bible in a year. I've chosen through the years not to follow those because I found that what was happening was, though I could get to the end of the year and say, I read the Bible in a year, I really wasn't taking the time to meditate, to chew the cud, to allow those heavenly truths to sink down into the heart that brought that sweetness, brought that security, brought that depth of experience in my life that the Word of God is intended to bring. Now, we should read the whole Bible, but we should read the Bible in such a way that God's Word, that the precepts, that the statutes, that the ordinances that God has given to us in the Word, not only teach our minds, but mold our hearts and mold our lives. And that comes through that meditation that seeks down deeply. Psalm 119 verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, there is no daily fight in sanctification against sin without meditating upon God's Word. Storing that Word in our heart that we might not sin against Him. Again, when Mrs. Curto and I lived in Uganda, uh, we decided to plant sunflowers. Well, what I didn't realize was that, you know, sunflowers are a pretty heavy plant. When those flowers get real big and they get all those seeds on it, uh, it's top heavy. And so when you plant sunflowers, you have to plant the seeds really deep because the roots grow straight out this way. They don't grow down into the ground. They grow out. And if that plant isn't planted deep, what happens is because those roots are so shallow that when that big heavy flower gets all those seeds, it just falls over. And then it, the seeds don't ripen the way that they're supposed to. The plant just dies. And it's the same way. If we plant God's word shallowly in our hearts. And that the roots go this way. Because we don't take the time to meditate upon that word. So that the roots grow deep within the ground. Then we are going to find ourselves stumbling and falling. Over and over and over again in our Christian life. So when someone comes to me and they say to me, Pastor, I'm really struggling with this sin or this sin or this sin. One of the first questions I ask them is, what does your daily reading look like? How do you approach God's word? Have you thoughtfully determined to really be a man or woman of God's word? So that that word sinks deeply into your life. And that you, by God's grace, have been made strong. Being strong in the Lord and in the power of His Word. And then Psalm 119 and verse 33 says how we're to do it by practicing them. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. You see, what God teaches us is not just for today. But it is for every day of our lives until he calls us home in glory to Christ Jesus. 
It is what God has called us to do as we are thoughtfully determining to be a people of the book. And I think that that is one of the first distinguishing marks of a true Christian. A true Christian can say, oh, how I love thy law, O Lord, and on it do I meditate day and night. Because he knows that in God's word is that light to direct us in the way that leads to eternal glory and that grace that he has promised to give us all the days of our lives. And so that's the question to us this morning. Have you thoughtfully determined to be a man or woman of God's word? As you look at your devotional life, as you look to how you read the word of God, do you profit from it? Not just simply memorizing of a few key verses to say to somebody when you're talking to them about Jesus or verses to somehow get through a school class because in your Bible class you're required to memorize some verses. But always and every day looking at God's word as that which comes down from him, that heavenly manna that nourishes and strengthens the soul. Letting that word take deep root in our hearts. They used to say that if you cut Bunyan, that he didn't bleed blood, he bled the Bible. Has the word of God so saturated your life that in your daily thinking, every time something comes up, your mind automatically runs and says, what does the word of God say? What does God's word instruct me to do in this situation? How does God's word shape my life in a daily way so that those things that I say, those things that I do, those things that I think are all ministered to or are all shaped by that word of God in our hearts and lives. As you look at your life and think about it, how do you need to change your life in such a way that you can be a man or woman of the word? I often, as a pastor, have people say, I just don't have time. And my response is, make the time. Redeem the time. There is much that we can leave out of our lives, much that we legitimately could do but we'll deny ourselves so that we can be men and women of the word that we can really determine to see God's word take root in our hearts and in our lives and those of you who are parents or grandparents what can you do to foster that kind of attitude in your children and your grandchildren helping them to become And to live their lives as those who thoughtfully determine to be a man or woman of the world, of the word. David said, Psalm 19, 119, I promise to keep your words. Can you make that promise? Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. 
For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.